Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, let's pray. Everybody found it? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the wonderful and bountiful supply. Lord, we don't deserve the least of what you've done for us, especially we don't deserve salvation freedom from the judgment for our sins, an open door to heaven, an adoption by God. Thank you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to learn this today as we see from the life you've recorded for us of Ruth in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Ruth chapter 2, starting verse 8, where we read Ruth 2, verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou, af- go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men that they should not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father, thy mother, the land of thy nativity, and art come into a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast spoke, thou hast comforted me, and that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, Come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she said, sat beside the reapers and he reached her parched corn and she did eat and was sufficed and left. And when she risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young man saying, let her, let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not and let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. Now, in our last study, you remember how we saw that life just didn't turn out real well for Ruth, that she she wasn't as the way she expected it. I mean, she had all these hopes that any typical young bride would have when she looked forward to her life, and she looked forward as a young girl, as we saw those young girls standing up here, as any young girl would to becoming a bride, to marrying the love of her life, to being intoxicated with the love of her husband, like any girl. That was Ruth, and Ruth looked forward to becoming her husband's wife, those words. And and like any young bride, Ruth looked forward to, to becoming a part of her husband's family. And like any young bride, Ruth looked forward to becoming a mother, building building a, a, a family of her own, as any young bride would be filled with all these great expectations 
for her life. That was Ruth. But life didn't go well for Ruth. It didn't work out well for Ruth. And all of her great expectations were just dashed in pieces as Ruth found that she had married into a family of sorrows. She had married into a family of suffering. And Ruth watched the death of her husband's father and realized that she would never have time to spend with him. Her children would never have the benefit of spending with him time with him for, for him to teach them. And then Ruth had her husband, and like any other young bride, he looked into her the eyes of her husband and, and said to him that she would be there for him. And like any young bride, Ruth heard her husband say that, yes, I'm gonna be there for you. But then sorrow struck again with Ruth and, and death, and Ruth's husband was taken away from her. And then all of Ruth's desire to keep her husband and to stop death from removing him didn't work at all. And, and now she's reduced with her, her mother-in-law to, to abject poverty, to beggars. And to say the least, life was a disappointment for Ruth. And when we see how life turned out, for Ruth, one great disappointment after another, we identify. We look at Ruth and we identify and we say, you know, sometimes we know that in our lives. Life turns out to be a great disappointment. Lots of plans, lots of expectations, lots of hope, lots of disappointment. And what happened to Ruth was that her father-in-law died. And what happened to Ruth was out of her control she couldn't control whether or not her father-in-law would die. And then what happened to Ruth was that her husband died. And that was out of her control. She couldn't control it, whether her husband would die. But that's what happened to her. What happened to Ruth was out of Ruth's control. But what happened to Ruth did not define Ruth. What defined Ruth were the decisions that Ruth made. See, Ruth was not defined by chapter one, verse three, when it says, and Eli Melech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left in her two sons. Ruth was not defined by the death of her father-in-law. Ruth was not defined by verses four and five in chapter one, where it says that the sons took wives and one of them was Ruth and, and they died. See, that didn't define Ruth. Ruth was not defined by the death of her husband. Ruth was defined in verses 16 and 17 of chapter one. When Ruth said those words that we love to repeat, Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die and there will I be buried. See, because those, that's what defined Ruth. Why? Those were decisions that Ruth made. See, every time she said one of those things in verses 16 and 17, you could take out I will and put in I have decided to. So in other words, she said, I have decided that whither thou goest, I will go. I have decided that where thou lodgest, I will lodge. I have decided that thy people shall be my people and thy God, my God. I have decided that where thou diest, I will die and there will I be buried. Those were decisions. Those were decisions that were 100% in Ruth's control. Those were decisions that defined Ruth. And how we saw how much those decisions were under Ruth's control because she had a sister-in-law who was in the same boat, 
a sister-in-law who also lost, same father-in-law, who also lost her husband. Ruth's decisions defined Ruth just as her sister-in-law's decision defined her. And the same is true for us. Many things happen to us that are out of our control, especially when it comes to the death of a loved one, out of our control. We don't want our loved ones to die. Ruth didn't want her husband to die, but it was out of her control. It's out of our control. But what happens to us does not define us. That's out of our control. That does not define us. The decisions that we make under our control, that's what defines us. To be depressed and ungrateful and complaining, or to rejoice, to be grateful, to be thankful. That's 100% under our control. That's 100% our decisions. See, Ruth could have chosen to look at what happened to her and decide, I have every reason in the world to be depressed. I have every reason in the world to be ungrateful. I have every reason in the world to complain. And if she did that, that would have defined Ruth as a depressed, ungrateful, and complaining person. But Ruth chose to look at God, and she decided to be strong, to be joyful, to be grateful, to be thankful. And when Ruth made those decisions, Ruth was then defined as a joyful person, a grateful person, and a thankful person. It's not what happens to us that's out of our control that defines us. It's the decisions that we make that are under our control that define us. We're so blessed. We're so blessed to live in a country that has a holiday called Thanksgiving. You know, I lived over in Switzerland, as you know, for a couple of years. I have any holidays of Thanksgiving. Uh, Germany, there's no holidays of Thanksgiving. We are so blessed as a country to have a holiday called Thanksgiving. But you know what? Really, Thanksgiving is a holiday that's all about personal choice. Thanksgiving is all about whether or not each individual chooses to give thanks, chooses to be thankful. Thanksgiving is personal. It's our personal choice to give thanks or to not give thanks. Thanksgiving is the best therapy for the disease of complaining and the soul destruction that comes from bitterness. To give thanks means that we have to take time to be still and deeply think, deeply consider precisely, exactly what are we thankful for. You know, not the brush off, well, I'm thankful for my family, but but whatever, it's good to have family. But I mean, a, a real deep consideration. That's why it's important for us to never forget the time when we were not saved. To never, if we're, if we're saved, it's important for us to remember back to those days. I'm thankful, as I gave thought to this, I'm thankful that 46 years ago, my, my old life, it ended, and my new life started. 46 years ago, I found God when I found the Lord Jesus Christ is God. And when that happened, my life of aloneness without God, my life of despair without hope, my life of anxiety over dying without forgiveness for my sins, but all ended. It ended in September of 1970. And then a new life started of peace with God, a new life with never being alone without God, a new life of comfort with hope for the future, 
and a new life of an assurance in the soul from having received forgiveness for, for sins, for my sins. That all started in my new life in September 70, 1970. See, we're thankful for how the Lord Jesus Christ has been our present friend and has carried us through many, many challenges. Who would ever thought that at this chapel, this man would not be here? That was a challenge to us, but the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ carried us through. You know, people look at the Creation Museum in Santee and they say, oh, well, What's that place? Well, it's just a place where, where, where they challenge the theory of evolution. That's what they say. And they look at it, oh, it's just a, it's just a place where, where, where Christians who believe the Bible can come up with all these uh, arguments against evolution. No, no. The Creation Museum is a statement of celebration of freedom. It's a place of freedom, a place to be thankful for that freedom. What freedom? Thankful for what freedom? Freedom to look at the stunning elegance of creation and just thankfully say, God made that. Yeah. Freedom to be floored by the sheer splendor of anatomy and physiology and be thankful to the creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, for just the magnificence of it all. Freedom to go outside and to look all around at the wonders of vegetation and birds and the ocean and the sky during the day and the sky during the night and to be thankful for the opportunity to live on such a beautiful earth. Freedom to be thankful to worship God for the artist that he is. Anybody having a look at the sky lately at sunset? What an artist God is. Freedom to be thankful to worship God for the engineer that God is. Freedom to say to God, you really outdid yourself when you made the earth and the planets and life. Freedom to be thankful to God for our life on earth as a privilege to be able to learn about life and to be able to learn about God's creation. Freedom to be thankful to God for being able to live as a guest we're a guest on God's incredible earth, the most blessed, the most amazing planet in the universe. That's what it means. And so this is all a matter of thanksgiving, all a matter of giving thanks. We have control over the decisions to give thanks or not. We have control over our decisions. That defines us. The greatest decision that we have control over is whether or not we will individually receive God's salvation gift, our decision. The greatest decision that we have under our control is whether or not we individually, there's got to be a time in everyone's life when they come to the place, they hear God saying, I wanna save you from your sins. I wanna make you a child of God. There's gotta be a time. Today should be that time. Today should be that day because God says there must be a time. Is that's under our control. The decision to receive God's salvation gift is under our control. We alone, we alone decide to come to God or to not come to God. Is God sovereign? Yes, but God has chosen to make us sovereign when it comes to deciding whether or not we will come to God. That's our decision. That's our decision alone. God does not decide who will come to him and who will not come to him. 
Ruth was was defined as a grateful, thankful person because she decided to be grateful and thankful. And we see Ruth's decision to be thankful in verse 12, sorry, verse 13, when Ruth said to Boaz in Ruth 2.13, for thou hast comforted me. See, she said that, thou hast comforted me. Here was Ruth. She's got all of her problems, so many problems. If she, You could sit down, she could tell you her problems, but she doesn't. And when Boaz speaks to Ruth, Ruth is just overwhelmed. She's floored. She's overwhelmed with thankfulness to Boaz because he comforted her. Ruth didn't complain to Boaz about her problems. or even, She didn't even ask Boaz for anything. What Ruth saw was that Boaz had taken notice of her problems, of her plight, and had comforted Ruth, and for that, she was thankful. And again, Ruth expressed her thanksgiving to Boaz when she said to him in verse 13, for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid. See, what Ruth said to Boaz in Hebrew was that Boaz had spoken to Ruth's heart. She realized that she spoke to her, that when he spoke to her, he was speaking to her heart. See, what Ruth recognized was Boaz was speaking right to her heart, Ruth in her heart. Ruth in her heart had come to trust under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. She was trusting there. That was Ruth's secret. But Boaz saw that, and Boaz said to Ruth, he knew, he knew that she had come under the wings of the Lord God of Israel to trust. And he told her that. And Ruth was saw that, oh, he's speaking to my heart. He knows what I've done in my heart. Now, the next time Boaz speaks to Ruth, was in the next verse, in verse 14, Boaz said unto her, at mealtime, come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers and he reached her parched corn and she did eat and was sufficed and left. See, the first words that Ruth heard from Boaz was at mealtime, come thou hither and eat. See, she just these, these, these words that absorbed in her. Ruth thought, he just said at mealtime. He said at mealtime. He cares about what happens to me at mealtime. You know, Boaz knew what happened at mealtime. Boaz knew how mealtime is an important time. That's a time of being in a warm house, a lot of talking, a lot of laughter, a lot of food. That's mealtime. And Boaz thought, what does at mealtime mean for Ruth? And he said to Ruth, at mealtime, come and eat. See for, see, for Boaz, at mealtime was very important. See, for when Boaz said at mealtime, Boaz was thinking what would happen to Ruth at mealtime. And Boaz could not stand the thought that Ruth might not have a hot meal at mealtime. Boaz could not stand the thought that Ruth might be eating in some cold corner of his field alone at mealtime as a despised Moabite. Boaz could not stand that thought. Boaz felt that cold meal that Ruth might have eaten at mealtime. Boaz felt the coldness of that corner of his field that Ruth might have to sit down and eat at at mealtime. And when Boaz said, at mealtime, come and eat, that showed compassion. That showed compassion that Boaz could feel what Ruth was feeling. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, he can feel. He has this ability. He can feel what we feel. 
And that's why it's important when it says in, in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, but without sin. Let us therefore come. Why do we come? Because he's touched with our feelings. That's what causes us to come, to find mercy and grace in time of hell and time of need. See, the Lord was touched with our feelings at mealtime. When Ruth heard Boaz say, at mealtime, Ruth knew that Boaz was touched with the feelings at her mealtime. You know, the peak times of the year for suicides in the United States is during Thanksgiving and Christmas. Why? Because those are the consummate at mealtime in the U.S. When you expect to be surrounded by a loving family, a caring family, a table with lots of food, with lots of joy together, with lots of happiness, those are the at mealtimes in the U.S. And when, there's, when that's not there, when there is that expectation for that, but there's no loving, caring family at mealtimes uh, at Thanksgiving and Christmas, then people sink into a state of depression that leads to killing themselves. Boaz knew how hard at mealtime can be for Ruth, and he felt her needs during the at mealtime. And so he said, there is no way that I'm going to allow her to feel that so alone feeling, that so cold feeling, that so without friendship feeling at mealtime. He cared about Ruth's at mealtime. That's an opportunity for us. What an opportunity for us during Christmas and Thanksgiving to go seek out those who are the Ruths around us. Where are they? Where are the ones? And to invite them into our homes. That's a great thing to do. That's how we can be like Boaz and give to them the great at mealtime invitation that he gave. You know, I have a a friend uh, who, um, who I knew as a CEO of one of the largest uh, diagnostic companies in, in, um, in the U.S., and he, he, in, uh, and he moved, he retired, and he moved to Tampa, Florida, and we, he came over to the house this last week, and we had lunch together. And, um, and, uh, and so he's now attending his uh, Presbyterian church there in Tampa, Florida, and he bought church vans. And now every Sunday, his ministry is, he and others drive those vans to bring the homeless to their church in Tampa, Florida. And, and after church, the congregation then has a meal together, and, and they embrace those homeless people. And those homeless people have integrated themselves within the church. And what he told me is how wonderful it is to sit, to, to sit back and look at the church and to see them sitting all over and sitting not, and among the other members of the church. And so, in fact, some of the homeless have actually joined the church. And what they told my friend is that, you know, there are other churches who come, and pick us up, and and they feed us, but they don't really bring us into their fellowship. They're like, you know, here's over here, and we'll, you know, you stay there, we'll feed you, and then we'll take you, okay. But see, this church, and he, he was thinking about their at meal times, and to feel the at meal times of others doesn't come easily. It doesn't come easily at all. It requires an ability, an ability that's not our own, but God will give it to us. That's how a successful High priest was described. It says in, in Hebrews 5, 1 through 2, 
For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and them that are out of the way? For that he himself is also compassed about with infirmity. See, we're called priests. We're called that chosen generation of priests. We're called royal priests, as a matter of fact, in 1 Peter 2, 9. You, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you love and stand with Israel? Would you like to meet a living Holocaust survivor? Then join Radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the Friendship with God Fellowship this Sunday, September 24th at 5 p.m. as we welcome Brian Slater from Abundant Life Ministries Israel and Holocaust survivor Nachem Kirpelovich from Netanya Israel, who's the leader of the largest Russian-speaking Holocaust survivor branch in Israel. Arrive early before 5 p.m. and enjoy amazing food and unforgettable Israeli Jewish music from the De Lamont Strings, as well as an amazing message and the opportunity to hear and meet from a living Holocaust survivor. Stand with Israel and join radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor this Sunday at 5 p.m. at the Friendship with God Fellowship that's located inside the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, near the Santee Drive-In off Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue North. For more information on this Stand with Israel free event at the Friendship with God Fellowship, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051.